From the sea of holes, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who don't look bluish. It's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I don't know if we should take that personally or not. What listener sent that one in, uh, Corey? Give us a, a hint. That was brought to you by Lorenzo Rafa of the Lorenzo Commentaries. I'd like to see his holes. Thank you. Thank you, Lorenzo. <laughs> Thank you very much. Lorenzo's, uh, he sent in a bunch of ours. And by the way, you know, come on, send us some uh, listener mail and some Vox boxes. It'd be great to have some holiday Vox boxes. So if anybody out there has any holiday-specific questions, anything pertaining to Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, snow, uh, winter wonderland, uh, go ahead and uh, send that our way. So we can pop that in on the holiday show. We're a few weeks away still from doing that and putting together all the titles and the great box sets and holiday-themed things and other fun surprises. And uh, it should be a good show. It's, gonna, it's looking good, Mark. Yes, because so, you want me to sing the Vox Box song. Send that along. Gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. Send us everything to that address, and we will uh, reply. Uh, we got a lot this week. We got some good new movies, some good foreign films, some really good foreign stuff. Uh, a bunch of docs and British television that we should try and put a dent in. Um, Mark? Yes, sir. Do we have anything to talk about of just pressing, pressing importance, other than the fact, which I just posted on the Facebook page, that they have just announced that Warner Archives is going to finally be releasing Blu-rays? It's about time. Well, Isn't that gonna, great? Well, in theory, yes, it is great. I just want to know, are these... Have they, which films have they decided to put out on Blu-ray? Why those and not other ones? What, uh, well, what print did they get, the, I, I, get a hold of? That's Who's, a, what house is going to do the transfer? That's a good question. But, I mean, the fact is there's so much great stuff in the Warner Archive collection that a lot of people would like for, on Blu-ray, frankly. I mean, look, they have a ton of classic silent films that you can only find in the Warner Archive collection, and it would be great to have those on Blu-ray, frankly. I mean, it really would. I know, I agree. It's I just, just great stuff. The first two titles, which are being released actually very soon, they, they should be on their way to us, is uh, Death Trap and Gypsy. Now, I have no idea Ooh, why. Ooh, Death Trap, is, is that the uh, Sidney Lumet Death Trap? Yes. With, uh, Chris, I love that movie. I know, right? I do. Yeah. That's a great movie. So Death Trap and Gypsy. Now, I have no idea why those two films of all the, I mean. That, it's Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve, great it's score. kind of a strange two films to, to say, let's make these our inaugural Blu-ray releases from Warner Archive. However, the next two, which don't have dates yet, very interesting. Two that I've been waiting for on Blu-ray for a very long time. Uh, the Hudsucker Proxy. That's been on that's yeah, not been on Blu-ray. Yeah, it hit. Yeah, yeah it has. But, but, but this is part of a Warner Archive thing. It's like it's 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 been moved over to the Warner Archive collection. But the other one, the other one's a big deal. Fearless. The Jeff Bridges, the Peter yeah, Weir, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, interesting. Rosie Perez, right? Interesting, right? Fa, blah, blah, because that DVD, that DVD is crap. That has never been properly uh, released in any form whatsoever. Now it's time. It's pretty great. Actually, you know, Fox is coming out with some of their classics yeah. also on Blu-ray. They have. Um, a gentleman's Agreement. Awesome. Coming out on... Uh, I don't know if the Gentleman's Agreement actually holds up. And I'm saying that as a Jew. Yes. I don't think that thing holds up. What's the up. date on that? Uh, January 15th. Yeah. So January 15th, we have Gentleman's Agreement. Uh, we have... Uh, which one best picture? Did it not? I believe it did. It did indeed. It did indeed. Uh, Wild River, my, uh, Montgomery Cliff. Not my favorite uh, Montgomery Cliff film, but it is, it, is, it is Ilya Kazan, and so it's automatically worth it. But also another Oscar-winning Best Picture, uh, How Green Was My Valley, 
which won an Oscar for uh, John Ford. So we have How Green Was, Was My Valley, Best Picture winner, Gentleman's Agreement, Best Picture winner, yep. and uh, Wild River, which is a Kazan film, all coming out on January 15th. Very nice. Now, that, by the way, those are great, great movies if you're over 60. I'm not over 60, and I love those. <laughs> I don't You're think Gentleman's Agreement holds up. You know what? I don't even think How Green Was My Valley holds up. It's you know too... what? But you know what? You know what? How, how Green Was My Valley? I mean, look, it, to recreate whales on the back lot of whatever studio it was, it, I, I don't, it, it, was, it was not RKO because they made Citizen Kane that year. So what studio was my, How Green Was My Was that MGM? It, it must have been MGM. Well, anyway, seriously, recreating whales like a Welsh mining village somewhere over in Culver City or wherever, not yeah, bad. Yeah, but that doesn't make it a... It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. movie. Uncle Wade. It is a good movie. It's very nicely done, and, and young Roddy McDowell is very compelling. Um, you love Roddy McDowell. love Roddy McDowell. Because years later, he'd he would play be an, an ape. ape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a sad career. Well, okay. okay. Well, here's, but here's the thing, though. I was, the last thing I'll say about how green was my valley. This is what How Green Was My Valley beat out. Yeah. You realize... Oh, I know. It's, it's obnoxious. It's it one of those years. It's one of those years, sort of like, like, for example, when Rocky won Best Picture, we're all like, oh, my gosh, Rocky won Best Picture. No, look at the films that Rocky it like, actually beat. It was like, you know, the, uh, one for the... No, it was... Uh, it's, it, 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 was, was, it was a network. It was network. Taxi driver. And, and all the president's all men. All the president's men. And it was just... It's insane. You just Bound go, for glory. Bound for glory. You go, really? Rocky beat those... Seriously? Are you kidding me? Well, that was the story. The, the movie was about an underdog, and that's the underdog Even, Best Picture one. Even ordinary people, which I think the world of, but it's like, really? It beat, are you kidding me? It beat like The Elephant Man and Raging Bull? And, and what? How did that happen? Well, the, but how did How Green Was My Valley beat Citizen Kane? I know. Well, because, you know, Citizen Kane. And the Kane, Maltese Falcon. I know. Strange. Fla. Fla. Anyway. <laughs> well, those are three good ones. Uh, you know what? Let's let's start off and just knock out some docs here, Mark. Oh we're gonna we're gonna blow through some docs, okay? And when when you say blow through some docs, that's your way of saying lose some listeners. <laughs> no, there's some really good ones here. Oh. For, first of all, uh, Travis Pastrana. We talked last week. I think it was last week we talked about Gone in sixty seconds, right? Yes. All the car crashes. Well, this is the air, the spiritual air of that. Is uh, Travis Pastrana's Nitro Circus the movie? You know, this is really just uh, evil can evil stuff. It's a it's a lot of just. Stunt work. It's not. It's not like. Uh, uh, it's. It's not like Jackass, where it's just guys abusing themselves. I mean, this is like. This is legitimate, high octane stuff, and uh, these guys are pretty impressive. They really are impressive. It's all Daredevil stuff. The only thing that makes this significant is that it is a 3D Blu-ray. Um, it gave me a headache. I, I'll admit, but I think the only reason you would actually want to own this is to uh, for the thrill of the 3D. So if you do have a 3D Blu-ray player and a 3D television, both of which are required for all of these things, don't think that you're going to buy a 3D Blu-ray and stick it in your DVD player on your uh, your 21-inch, 20-year-old Sony um, tube television. Then it's suddenly going to be in 3D. Not so. But if you got all the gear. Um, Seriously, this is what you should be doing with 3D. Not watching movies, narrative films, but watching, you know, kind of thrill ride stuff. Uh, video games and thrill ride. And this is just about the thrill. So they actually do a very good job of uh, sort of making sure that they engineer the experience for 3D. And uh, I, I, it's perfectly fine. Not my kind of thing, but you know what? For, for people who, who are looking for 3D specifically, um, movies that actually really put it to use in the way that it was intended, uh, this is probably one of the best that's uh, been out there. I like the warning on the cover of the uh, the disc, too. Warning, PG-13. Jumping a school bus with seven people 167 feet isn't for everyone, especially you. 
That's great. All right, Wade, uh, one of the great documentary trilogies uh, ever, probably, although the third one doesn't really hold up for me. But uh, the Paradise Lost trilogy is available on um, oh, yeah, very nice. DVD. Now, Paradise Lost is a documentary about the West Memphis Three. Sure is. And these were uh, three – actually, they were tried and convicted as teenagers. These films actually, in, to a great extent, contributed to getting them freed. Yes. I mean, that's the amazing thing about this trilogy. This trilogy is not just about the, the, the West Memphis Three. This trilogy is integrally involved in the, in the entire story itself. Yes. Now, supposedly these three kids, they were teenagers at the time in 1994, they were sentenced to life. Actually, one was sentenced to death, one was sentenced to life, and the other was sentenced to life also for uh, these horrible, grisly killings of these three kids. And it was part of a satanic ritual, and a lot of a lot of just really gruesome facts came out during this case. It was really horrible. And uh, this documentary was made, and uh, it turns out that uh, the documentary, as Wade said, was integral in, get- in getting them off. And unlike a lot of documentaries, there was not just one sequel, there were two. And it really was kind of the... It was the second sequel, Paradise Lost 2 Revelations from 2000, that kind of suggested that evidence was missed, uh, at least when it comes to one of the boys. And Paradise Lost 3, Purgatory, uh, kind of continues the story. So it was a grisly crime. It, there was a crime that made national news, and it was just tragic for everybody, including the three men who, got, who were convicted unfairly, as it turns out. And it's a great, uh, great four-disc set. There's a bonus disc of never-before-seen content and a whole bunch of bonus features. But the actual doc itself is just riveting stuff. It is great it is. stuff. The par- uh, this, it's the Paradise Lost trilogy. Very good. We also got Rescue 3D, an instant of courage can mean a lifetime. In a world. This is, a, uh, this is a bl- another Blu-ray 3D. This was originally an IMAX uh, film. And uh, not as not as kind of mind blowing, I think, as the uh, the Nitro Circus disc, but still, you know, it, it, it does a nice job with the 3D. Uh, essentially, what you're looking at here is the work of people who deal with nat, like they're the first responders to natural disasters. If there's an earthquake or tsunami or whatever, the ha- you know, what, what, whatever have you. Um, and uh, very nicely photographed, very nicely put together. Uh, again, nothing mind-blowing, but just very, very solid and uh, makes decent use of 3D. Though I think you can enjoy it just as much without the 3D. But uh, certainly a very good use of the Blu-ray. The high definition, really, really top-notch, and some great audio. So um, that is from Image, and that is Rescue 3D. Also, uh, we've got to put a big shout-out to something that is going to be airing very soon on uh, PBS, if it hasn't already. We've got it here on Blu-ray, and that is Ken Burns' latest. Uh, this guy is just unbelievable. Ken Burns must just know everything about everything. After all the docs that he has made about all these historical he re- He's got researchers. That's unbelievable. He just knows everything about everything. This is uh, the Dust Bowl. And uh, if you don't know about the Dust Bowl, I mean, the last survivors of the Dust Bowl are actually interviewed here. And I I didn't even realize anybody was still alive who had lived through that horrible, horrible event. Uh, This is – the Dust Bowl, if you don't remember, it sort of, you know, got overshadowed in many respects by everything else that uh, took place during the 1930s. I mean, you had the Depression and the rise of fascism overseas and all kinds of horrible things were going on in the 1930s. So people forget that there was this – Whole that the entire. I mean, if you've seen the Grapes of Wrath, you certainly know a, a little bit about it. But the essentially, the an entire chunk of the country that would have been the breadbasket of the nation was sort of turned into a desert overnight. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, bound it, for glory. Oh my gosh! It's just it's just grapes it of is, wrath. 
It is devastating. And um, this is a really, really impressive four-hour-long revisitation of that horrible, horrible thing narrated by one of the great voices of narration of all time, Peter Coyote, who, uh, who you know, he, he always shows up in election season. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Peter Coyote is like one of the go-to well, he, guys. Well, for, he's a huge uh, political activist, a yeah. huge, like a, a flaming liberal. Well, he's one of those – he's like the, the go-to narrator. Every, every two or four years, you will notice that there are always commercials for you know, Democratic candidates or Democratic causes, and Peter Coyote's voice is right there. I mean, he's one of the go-to narrator guys. It's a great voice. So, uh, but whether or not you agree with his politics, he's a great narrator and does a wonderful job on this. It's four hours long. It's the Dust Bowl. It's depressing as hell, but well worth seeing. Ken Burns can do no wrong. This guy just nails it every time. Uh, you know who doesn't nail it, Wade? Sci-Fi Network. Now, I was on board with Alligator, Godzilla, Bigfoot Monster, and, and you know, Python Ageddon or something, or whatever those movies are that Sci-Fi Network has become, you know, famous for, those cheesy disaster films. Uh, but this one is just the worst. This is about as close to a Christmas film as Sci-Fi will ever get. It's called Snowmageddon. Hell has frozen over. Ah, yes. Snowmageddon. And uh, this is just bad news. It's uh, it has to do with like a possibly I won't give it away because I know you're gonna watch it. Mm-hmm. Possibly a uh, a mystical, magical snow globe. And there's a reason why this is being slotted in with the documentaries, in case anybody's wondering. So exactly. carry on. Yes, there's, there's a supernatural slow uh, snow globe, and uh, it's possible that when the snow globe is shaken up, the entire world actually starts to shake with earthquakes and volcanoes and uh, and, and whatnot. Yes. So it is a documentary. Yes. and a It lot doesn't of, deserve to be, but, I, exactly. but carry on. A, a lot of these sci-fi movies, again, like, you know, Alligator, Bigfoot, Monster, Meets, Godzilla, mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. Python. Yeah. A lot of them, they're so obviously cheesy. They know it's cheesy. I think it devalues the sci-fi brand, but they know it's cheesy. This one, I think, is sort of kind of in its own way trying to be good. Mm-hmm. And when a movie is trying to be good and is bad, that's just tragic. Yeah. When a movie is bad but knows it's bad, that could be funny. That's not Snowmageddon. So um, I would uh, pass on this. But you know what you don't want to pass on if you love snow? The latest Warren Miller film. Come on, Warren Miller. He's still at it, Mark. How old is he, like 75 or something? I can find out if you'd like. Find out. Find out how old Warren Miller is while I talk about Like There's No Tomorrow. Now, that's dot, 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 like there's no tomorrow. So you've got to be doing something like there's no tomorrow. What are you going to do like there's no tomorrow? You are going to ski, shred, huck, bomb, launch, spin, and He's 88 years charge. old. Is he really? 80. He was born in 1924. Warren Miller. Wow. Now, impressive. Warren Miller, if you don't know, he's like a he's a filmmaker. He's a man. Who, he, he does like ski movies, snowboarding ski movies. movies. Has, been, has done forever. Anyway, you know what? This is terrific. It's as, it's as good as anything you've ever seen from Warren Miller. I mean, it's pretty much the same stuff, but it is, uh, it is just it is great skiing. Now, I am not a skier, and, uh, but I appreciate great ski photography, especially when it is just everywhere. I mean, you're, you are all over the world. They're, they're skiing in India in this movie. They're skiing in New Zealand. They're skiing everywhere in Norway, all over the United States. It is, it is terrific. World-class skiers, and uh, you know, it's just, it's just if, if you're exhilarated by great skiing and great ski photography, this is cool. It's on a collector's edition deluxe Blu-ray as well as a DVD, but I seriously— He's done. This guy's done like 100 movies. It's just you got to watch it on the Blu-ray. Warren Miller on Blu-ray, just 1080, just, just slow-motion killer skiing. It is fantastic. Um, and all the new technologies only enabled him to make better movies, so definitely check that out like there's no tomorrow. Woo! Shred, dude. You like that? No. 
Okay. Never do that again. I will try not to do that again. Um, also, we've got uh, a couple of movies here that deal with gender issues. One I can recommend, the other one I can't. Uh, Chili Wright, Wish Me Away, or is it Keely? I always forget how to pronounce her name. But anyway, um, I covered this on NPR some months ago. And, and she, well, you know what? She's a she's a she's a country star, and she came out uh, as gay and uh, is technically considered the first. Now, get this: this is splitting hairs. She's technically the first country western singer to come out during the course of her country western career. Now, I remember at the time I, I was talking to the publicists and I said, yeah, I seem to recall Katie Lang owning that title. And they said no, because when Katie Lang came out, she had already transitioned from country western over to something else. A uh, loophole. Uh, yeah, I, it's a nice loophole to promote the movie. Anyway, she is terrific, though. I got to tell you, Wright is a, uh, a a great singer, and it's a very, very touching story because it, it really gets into just how difficult it was for her um, to sort of live this lie while she was in what is considered, you know, a very, very conservative music industry, but how she's been welcomed and appreciated and how it really has been good for her. Now, that's not to say there aren't a lot of haters out there who've tried to make her life miserable, but, you know, it's a... Uh, it's an inspiring story, and it's a, it's a, you know, she still is who she is, and she hasn't become sort of this, uh, like, crazy, you know, uh, over-the-edge activist. No, she's, she's just living her life, and the message is you don't have to substantially change, and I think it's a great message, so I appreciated that. What I did not appreciate is The Ballad of Genesis and Lady J, which freaks me out to this day. I'm sorry. Call me, call me uh, politically incorrect. Call me anything you want. This movie is just deeply, deeply disturbing. If you don't know this, um, this is about Genesis Briar P. Orridge. Now, I'm going to do my best to sort of explain what this is about without making myself throw up. Um, and sorry, call me a hater, call me in politically incorrect or whatever. But you're talking about essentially about performance artists who, um, beginning in the 1970s, uh, it's a couple, and um, they decided to become together a new gender. And so through plastic surgery and all kinds of other weirdness, uh, these two individuals are trying to sort of reinvent uh, gender and identity and what human beings are. And I just find the whole thing deeply pretentious and sick and weird and wrong. And uh, I, I just I cannot endorse this film. Now that being said, uh, if you know, it's not a badly made movie. It's just that the subject matter is uh, is creepy as all hell. So this is from New Yorker. I love New Yorker. Endorse them fully. I love their new eco packaging. Glad they're back in business after being gone for a few years. But my goodness, this movie, The Ballad of Genesis and Lady J, is just uh, freaking weird. It's Good a, times. It's just deeply disturbing to me. Uh, wait, next we have uh, the dock front. And are we going to get to real movies soon? Oh, yeah, very soon. Okay, good. Uh, we have Nicholas Ray's We Can't Go Home Again. Now, the uh, Nicholas Ray, if you don't know, he was the director of uh, Rebel Without a Cause and other good movies, too, like In a Lonely Place and Johnny Guitar. And um, in the last years of his life, um, Ray started to get very experimental. He would experiment with, uh, you know, multi-screen projections as a way to kind of tell his stories. And, and he wound up becoming far afield from stories like, you know, Rebel Without a Cause. Um so when he became a teacher 
at uh, I think it was uh, one of the Sunni uh, Sunni schools. How much one it was? Um, he and his students wound up making this film that would become We Can't Go Home Again. Now, Nicholas Ray died before he was able to create a satisfactory cut of it. So his widow, Susan, wound up finishing it up. And now we have Nicholas Ray's We Can't Go Home Again on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Now, the uh, Blu-ray and the DVD both contain a documentary by Susan Ray called Don't Expect Too Much, which is uh, a documentary about Ray's life. So not only do you get this very fascinating experimental film by one of the great directors of that era, uh, of the 50s, Nicholas Ray, but you also get a, a uh, documentary by his widow uh, about his life. And there's two discs here, too. There's an um, extended interview with uh, Jim Jarmish, who was very much influenced by Nicholas Ray, and uh, a profile of Nicholas Ray from CBS in 1977. So uh, there's really good stuff on this thing. It's a very unique movie. It's an experimental movie. You may not groove to it, but you got to admit this guy was really onto something, and uh, it was just fascinating how his career took a 180 from these films in the 50s to these really experimental films in the 70s so anyway that's nicholas Ray's we can't go home again and uh, yes we're uh yes uh, yeah, let, yes. Uh, yes wade you you want to talk now don't you well yeah get to that in a, in a second i, I don't i want to put a quick uh, mention in here for a couple of first run movies because we always talk about food and uh, first one features has the raw and the cooked culinary journey through taiwan by monica trait Monica Troit, very, very good filmmaker. If you haven't seen any of her stuff before, really well worth seeing. Uh, look, i got to tell you, is this a revolutionary documentary? No. Will it make you hungry? Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. Uh, I, I, I love Chinese food, but you have to understand, Taiwanese food is not necessarily exactly the same thing as Chinese food. Uh, in some ways, yes. In other ways, no. But it is, boy, this will make you want to run out and find a Taiwanese restaurant in a heartbeat. i got to tell you, really, really uh, beautiful, beautiful tribute to... Uh, an amazing uh, national cuisine. And then the other one is The Island President, um, which is, a, given all of the talk about, uh, you know, uh, climate change and global warming and so forth, um, really a very, very interesting um, a very interesting look at a, an unusual and unconventional politician. Uh, this is about President Mohammed Nasheed, who is president of the Maldives, and uh, it's 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 a little bit about the political structure of the Maldives, which you would think, who cares? It's the Maldives, you know, does it really matter who who runs the Maldives? It kind of does because the Maldives, and if it isn't, you know, it's it was previously under a dictatorship. And uh, he took over, and now he's making it a crusade to save the island nation because if global warming does continue, um, anyone who denies global warming, talk to these people because their island, their entire country, will be submerged. Well, and it already this. is starting to be submerged. So, you know, that's the thing is you, you can't – I'm, I'm not going to make a political crusade out of this. But, you know, it, it, climate change is, is real to the people who see the, the water level creeping up to their doorstep every day. Yes. Now, this guy – uh, Mohammed Nasheed, the subject of this film, which is a good film, The Island President. Uh, when I saw this film uh, at the New Art in uh, L.A., one of the great, you know, rep houses or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, we learned afterwards that he was overthrown but since he, the making of the film. Yeah, I know, I know. That's a sad part of the story. And, get this, so he found out that he was he had been overthrown, and at the end of the screening... They got him on the phone. Yeah. The guy who really the, yes, the guy. There's some some dude. That's not part of the movie. Though. No, no, no. This is like yeah. me watching the movie at the yeah. New Art. Yeah. After the movie's done, lights go up. Some dude walks to the front of the house and says, "We have Mahabanashid on the phone right now from from the Maldives." 
And the guy was talking, where are you now? How, you know, when you were deposed, how did that happen? You know, are you in exile? Are you going to get back into power? It was really kind of powerful to hear this guy. And he's very, he's very, he's young, he's engaging. Uh, he obviously has his best, his countrymen's, you know, best hopes and dreams at heart. Yeah. So it's a good film. It was a great experience seeing it because, again, you got, you got this guy on the phone from the Maldives. And uh, this island president, good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, quickly, some uh, some historical stuff here that's really worth seeing. Bill Morrison, a very uh, interesting filmmaker, made a movie here called The Miner's Hymns, which uses archival footage of uh, northeast uh, England coal miners and archival footage of them in basically an hour-long tribute, which is all pretty much just footage and music. It's not a, it's not a conventional documentary. It's like a, almost a cinematic essay, and it's, it's beautiful and moving and really nicely put together, and I, I wish more people would do. This is the kind of experimental cinema that I can get behind. You know, it, it, has, a, it has a thrust and a narrative momentum, and it's really uh, all about the emotions. Very nicely done. It has three great bonus films by Bill Morrison as well. Uh, release Outer Bro and the film of her, all of which are you know about ten minutes apiece. Very very nice stuff. Um, we also have Whittle, the Jet Pioneer, and uh, this is a really interesting story about a guy that I had never even heard of before. Uh, Frank Whittle is a a British inventor and engineer who uh, you know the, like trying to discover and master the jet engine was a big deal during World War II, and you know the Nazis and the, the Allies were all after the jet engine, trying to master the jet engine so we can slap it on a plane. Of course, the Nazis wound up being the first and put it onto a, a Messerschmitt that got shot down rather handily because it wasn't very navigable. But um, uh, this, is, this is Frank Whittle basically telling his own story, and uh, it's fascinating, you know, his, uh, his whole story. I won't give you any of the details, but my goodness, this is a really, really good movie. So that's uh, Whittle, the jet pioneer. And then lastly, a doc from uh, BFS that I'm very fond of, How the Scots-Irish Shaped America, Born Fighting. You know, the Scots-Irish, if you don't know, are, uh, they're Irish, but they're sort of, you know, the Irish weren't welcomed in the U.S., and the Scots-Irish weren't really welcomed in Ireland, because they were originally from Scotland, and they were transplanted by the British, but somehow they were just a, a, a ragtag, rabble-rousing, determined people who made their way to the United States and uh, have be- contributed massively to uh, the the cultural landscape of the United States. And it's amazing how many people have Scots-Irish ancestry, not just the likes of President Reagan, but, uh, believe it or not, Rosa Parks. How about that? What? And uh, I would even say, yours truly. Thank you very much. Of my, course. That's my, why you uh, like that so much. My, my horrible, evil, uh, angry Scots-Irish uh, great-grandfather. So, there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right, wait. Uh, tell me these are the last two docs we're talking about. Yes, they are. Thank you. Um, although I did enjoy watching uh, Stephen Sondheim's Company with the New York Philharmonic. I know it sounds kind of. Uh, I know we we don't often say the New York Philharmonic on this show, and I know that that means uh, you know this is probably some stodgy thing. Turns out it's not. Now, Stephen Sondheim fans will remember uh, one of his classic early classics, a uh, uh, show called Company from 1970. And it's been staged on and off throughout the years by rep companies and whatnot. But in uh, 2011, they got this all-star, kind of star, all kind of star cast to uh, do kind of like a limited staged version of it where it's it wouldn't be like it's not like a full-blown production there's like limited props and not full choreography and they put this thing on and it was neil patrick harris stephen colbert john cryer uh you know martha plimpton and they put on uh Stonheim's company last year and it was a lot of fun i'd never seen 
Stephen Colbert like on stage in this context, and he was terrific. Neil Patrick Harris, of course, is always terrific. So um, all-star cast, really good stuff. Stephen Sondheim's company with the New York Philharmonic. That's good times. And if you're a Broadway lover, which I kind of am. You know, wait, I'm going to New York next week. I know, yeah. Good going for to New York you. for Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm deciding, uh, I always have to go see a Broadway play, if not two. Deciding what to see. What are you going to see? Well, what are, you, what, are you, what are you thinking about seeing? Here's what I'm thinking about seeing. Now, you tell me whether I should see this. Now, there is a revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway right now. Ooh, who's in it? Uh, That's, uh, Virginia Woolf is always good to see if the cast is great. It's all about the cast. Well, here's he, he the thing. Uh, this thing is getting raves. New York Times went ape-s over it. Everybody is going nuts over this thing. So, you know, I'm thinking this thing's got to be worth it. So maybe Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I mean, there's nobody in it that we would know or okay. that I would know. Sure. But uh, I'm really thinking, thinking of seeing that. I, I still haven't seen The Book of Mormon, which I know is playing in L.A. now. Yeah. So if it's playing, it, it was playing in L.A., tickets might be easier to get in New York, maybe. Oh, maybe. So have you seen it? No. No. Haven't. Keep meaning to. Uh, I've heard it's nothing but hilarious. And then um, I don't think there's really any, like, you, you, nowadays on Broadway, they like to get these big celebrities yeah. to, you know, to yeah. be in big. their shows. You know, there's some there's there's a couple of celebrity shows, but I really don't want to spend like a hundred bucks to go see Katie Holmes in a show. <laughs> I really do. now I, I I think Denzel Washington is is going to be in a show next year, and I would just love to see that. You know, it was funny because uh, back in 2005, when um, I was I, you remember we, we we did the show when I was remote in New York. You remember when we did that? It was terrible. That was you were terrible. on the phone. And I know it was, it was awful. Worst. But I was I was in New York because my wife was uh, was working on a film, and I tagged along just to spend her per diem. And um, we were we were in a hotel right there at uh, 49th and Broadway, and directly across Chicago. Uh, Chicago, the revival of Chicago was with Brooke Shields. And it's bizarre because, you know, here's Brooke Shields across the street in a show. And I was thinking, I'm not going to go see Brooke Shields in a show because I see her at the market all the time when back in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. I'm not going to pay money to see you in New York. Well, here, okay, here's before we, we – we'll move on after this. Yes. But there is one thing I might try to see. Now, in 2005, yes. I saw a revival of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. With, it was with um, Liv Schreiber and uh, Alan Alda. Yes. Now they got Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross again. I'm kind of like, do I want to see that again? But it's with Pacino. Oh, I have to see it, right? You do have to see it. Al Pacino and Glenn you, Gary, you Glenn Ross. You do have to see it. He's the best thing about that movie. He really but it's is. Like, and now I've seen Pacino on stage before. Yeah, I saw him in a one act, like literally like 15 years ago. I saw him in a one act, and I paid like a hundred bucks 15 years ago to see him in a now one act is like 40 he was minutes in long. A one act. <laughs> It was him and it's Paul Benedict. It's pretty easy to do a Pacino impression <laughs> these days. It was, it was Pacino and Paul Benedict, who since mm-hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, uh, about 15 years ago. And yep. it was a one act called Huey. And it was Pacino. But Very I'm nice. looking at this thing going, I've, I just saw Glenn Gary Glenn Ross like five years ago on Broadway. Do I do have to again. see it again? Yes. It's Pacino. Yeah. I got to go, right? Yeah, you do. Oh, my God. All right. Why are we talking about this? Because there's a great PBS documentary that you got to uh, at least rent yep. uh, on Blu-ray called B-Way. The abbreviation of Broadway, B Way, Broadway, the American Musical. Yeah. This is a three disc set. It uh, this is PBS at its best. There's six episodes in this thing, and it's all about uh, Broadway plays from the late 19th century all the way up to probably the you know, like 2004, 2005 when this thing was made, and uh, it's great. It's got lots of great performances, lots of great actors, lots of great stories. This thing's called Broadway, the American Musical. It is three discs, six episodes. I'm telling you, this is comprehensive. 
great stuff. In fact, I'm surprised this wasn't directed by uh, Ken Burns. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's good. Really good stuff. All right, Mark. The biggie this week. Wait, I'm going to check and see how much tickets are for Glengarry Glen Ross. Well, you know, uh, they're probably going to be cheaper than the, uh, the than the retail price for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2, the two-movie Ultimate Edition, which comes in a six-disc brick that you could use to bludgeon someone to death with. Um, this is, of course, year seven of Harry Potter's endless education. He's now 47 years old. And... Um, Hermione's like, you know, 60 or something. This is just, you know, there is such a thing as overkill on Blu-ray, and I got to say, this is it. Now, look, does it look great? It's incomparable. Does it sound great? It will fill. It will fill all of your speakers, and you'll you'll think that you're you're just awash in the world of Harry Potter, and Hogwarts will swarm over you. But this is endless. Um, it's impossible to get through all the extras. Impossible. I don't think anyone will ever get through all the extras. I think if you start looking at the extras on this, you will you will die of old age before you actually get through it. It's insane. This has so much stuff in it. It's got a lenticular card. It's got character cards. It's got the, this this uh, this book, forty eight page book called Growing Up, with uh, all the movies that show how old, you know they go from age seven to sixty two over the course of these films. <laughs> it's it's just it's uh, like the Up films, like Michael Apted's oh Up films. Oh my gosh! You get two more episodes in the uh, the endless documentary creating the world of Harry Potter, which concludes the whole thing. You uh, uh, seriously? I kid you not. Part two, part two has more featurettes than I think I have ever seen on any D- Blu-ray release or DVD release ever. It is everything. It they must have had high def cameras following every single member of the cast and crew around all the time because it probably is a real time encapsulation of the making of the film. You truly wind up watching the the whole movie, the course of the making. Like they they shot for something like what was it, ninety days, 90, sh- 90 shooting days. Sure, it'll take you ninety days to watch all the featurettes. <laughs> it will. It's insane. Uh, but that being said, there's a lot of really good stuff here. It's not just uh, you know EPK stuff that's thrown on here. It really is great. And uh, a tour of the Warner Brothers uh, uh, studios in London, pretty great. Got to tell you, so pretty great. So um, it's just. It's just massive. It's endless. It, it goes on and on and on, picture in picture, and it's just it's just so interactive. I just at a certain point, I said, I just want to watch the movie. In fact, I don't even want to watch the movies. I just want to watch parts of these movies. But there it is. So, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, parts one and two, two movie ultimate freaking edition is just unbelievably huge and massive. And oh, by the way, it also includes ultraviolet, so you can make this whole thing follow you around. Well, if it's ultraviolet, then i got to buy it. There you go. No, Absolutely. Uh, also, we've got The Expendables 2. Yeah. Which I thoroughly enjoyed. Awesome. I, I like The Expendables 1. I really like Expendables 2, and I didn't think I would. i got to tell you. I hated Expendables 1, and Expendables 2 is funny. Uh, Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger have much bigger roles in this. You also get a, a wonderful quasi-cameo from uh, Chuck Norris, which is fantastic. And uh, I'll tell you, the, the best thing about it is Van Damme, because he's the bad guy. He's the villain. He is so freaking evil. It is just fabulous. He plays it beautifully. I thoroughly enjoy this. Totally over the top. Totally referential. Great one-liners. Whole lot of fun. Uh, Jet Li exits the movie way too quickly. Special features on the uh, Blu-ray digital copy ultraviolet combo disc include an audio commentary with uh, the director. 
a uh, bunch of featurettes, deleted scenes, and uh, it's, you know, it's fun. It's good times. And uh, just don't worry about the audio. It's just the explosions are loud, and they go through all your whole, they rumble through your subwoofer in a beautiful way. That's the wonderful thing. Is it a great 5.1 mix? No. But the explosions, they just amp them right into the subwoofer, and it will shatter windows a block away. It's a beautiful thing. Really? That bad? Yeah. Why not? Oh, wait, Whitney Houston's final film, Sparkle, is out on uh, Blu-ray. Uh, this thing is, huh? Why would I just, I, I, to this day, I don't understand why anybody would want to remake a, a, a movie that, you know, like, that even, uh, like, Irene Cara starred in the original Sparkle, which was a, a Joel Schumacher film that even Joel Schumacher doesn't much care about. And why would well, somebody say, let's remake that? Because it, just, it, I don't get it. Because it was so bad that they said, you know what? We can make this better. I suppose. Uh, too bad they didn't. This thing is um, very formulaic and um, it's very melodramatic. And uh, I mean, I think people kind of maybe grooved that kind of old fashioned charm. But in the end, I just think this thing is. Um, it's just an assembly. It's just like an assemblage of like cliches of those sorts of films. It's not original. Um, you know, it doesn't do anything that you haven't seen done a hundred times before. Um, but again, you know, it might be a point to some people because again, it's Whitney Houston's final film performance. Um, the movie's about a this musical prodigy, I guess, Jordan Sparks, who I guess was on American Idol or something like that. Yeah, she was. Her dad's like a football player or something. I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, musical prodigy, you know, wants to become a star and, you know, and her family's falling apart and so, you know, she's, uh, whatever, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Does it really matter? Not really. No. Uh, anyway, Jordan Sparks, Whitney Houston, direct Luke, Mike Epps, uh, you know, and CeeLo Green. So it's a good cast, yeah. but I just think this thing is just a whole heap of cliches. Yeah, well. Not into it. Um, ooh, that's a, that wasn't good. Um, you know, we got an interesting film here. Last week we talked about Iron Sky, which is that, that documentary about uh, Nazis who formed an outpost on the moon. Awesome. You remember? That was, a, that was a documentary from last week. Exactly. We have another uh, documentary this week, a Blu-ray DVD combo pack uh, from the Screamfest documentary line called uh, Outpost Black Sun. Now, this uh, tells another true story about Nazis, which is about the um, uh, efforts by Nazi scientists to create this kind of, uh, like, zombie super army thing. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's real science. They actually use this today, believe it or not. And uh, that's what happens here is that this uh, is about a, uh, the, the use of the Nazi super army technology in modern-day Eastern Europe. So it's a very interesting film, a uh, completely true story, and uh, nothing, uh, nothing far-fetched in here at all. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich is on its way, and uh, that is uh, Outpost Black Sun. In all seriousness, uh, it's just a pretty silly movie. But uh, it's relatively enjoyable, I guess, on a, on, a, on a cheesy level. Screamfest has a reputation for these kinds of films. It's not the least bit scary, I don't think, in any way at all. Um, zombie Nazis are... You know, really not. <laughs> I, I, you can't seriously. Can you be serious when you're talking about zombie Nazis? I want to see World War Z. How come you don't want to see World War Z? That trailer looked cool. Zombies, 
come on. We'll I, talk. I, and no, I, I love that, you know, because, look, zombies used to be like, you know, they would walk really slow and you can outrun them. But now we've got zombies that run. Yeah. In fact, they run so mindlessly that they launch themselves over cliffs. I know. They do. They're like that, lemmings. That, that all started when uh, Zack Snyder remade uh, Dawn of the Dead. Was it Dawn of the Dead he remade? Whichever yes, one it was. It was. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. They, and then actually the only one of those that I, I approve of, which I think is great, is uh, um, 27 Weeks Later. 28 weeks later. 28 weeks later. Yes, yes those are good. The, 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 not the both days, are good. The, the, the both. The Danny Boyle film is great, but the sequel I think is even better. Yeah, that's good too. Because they are running everywhere. Yes. It's like It's like the difference between Alien and Aliens. Awesome. Suddenly it's like entire city, just fill, people, zombified people filled with streets running everywhere, crashing, vomiting blood on windows of subways. It was insane. But I, it really I, freaked I was, me out. I, see, I looked at that trailer and I thought, the World War Z, yeah. and I thought... This is now it's 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 a troubled production as people yes, know. Yes. But I'm just saying based on the trailer. This is what Spielberg's War of the World should have been. Just thousands of compu- of yeah, CGI I mean, extras just streaming in the streets he, and everyone's freaking out. I love doesn't it. Doesn't have that in it. World War Z. All right. Um the the uh the most unique uh release of the week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to proclaim it such. And, and timely, right? Proclaim it as such. Yes. Is um a one of the first, one of the only, I mean, I'm sure it's the first, it really is one of the only cradle-to-grave movies about Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Of course, now we have Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, which I like more than Wade. Uh, Wade had a lot of problems with it. Um, it's worth seeing. I, it's yeah. just not a great movie. But uh, but in 1930, D.W. Griffith, who had one of the great silent directors of all time, Birth of a Nation, Intolerance, Orphans of the Storm, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards, uh, it took him until 1930, which was kind of sort of the dawn of the sound era, uh, to direct a talkie, and his first talkie was Abraham Lincoln. And Walter Houston, of all people, this is the same Walter Houston from Maltese Falcon and, and the father of John Houston, the director. And the grandfather of Danny Houston, <laughs> who is in Hitchcock. We love Danny Houston, Mark and I. No. He's our favorite actor of all time. He ruined Children of Men. I love that movie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, the thing with the movie is that I, I have to honestly say, if I really want to be honest with myself, that this is not uh, one of um, Griffith's best films. No. But, um, you know, it's interesting because I love the fact that you know that there are probably people who watched this film mm-hmm. when, it, when it was released, 1930, yeah. Yeah. or maybe even there were technical advisors, I'm yeah. not sure, who actually like maybe even witness Lincoln give a speech. It's true. I mean, Lincoln yeah. died, what, in 1865? Yeah. So 1865, 65 years later, yeah. there was a, this movie comes out. Guaranteed. I bet there was somebody who's now, who at the time was 80 years old, yeah, 85 years old, who said, I saw Lincoln speak. I sure. saw him speak. It's kind of wild, right? Isn't that kind of wild? That's pretty wild. So, uh, but that being said, this is not, uh, this is not Griffith's best. Um, no. But still, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's as a piece of film history, especially because... Griffith is so synonymous with Birth of a Nation and Intolerance, which is said to have been his the his apology for Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Uh, and now he, he apologizes doubly, triply by doing Abraham Lincoln, the Emancipator. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you can see this sort of arc of like Birth of a Nation and then everything he did to apologize for it over his career. Very true. So as a piece of history, it's definitely worth it. But as a film, it's not Griffith's best. But it is Abraham Lincoln. And think of it this way. We know a lot of people who grew up during World War II who heard FDR speak. 
Well, FDR is further back in our history than Lincoln was at this time. That's sad. You know? Sad. Uh, Natural Selection was a big deal in the independent film world uh, earlier this year. It uh, it, was a big deal at South by Southwest, and it had some Independent Spirit Award nominations last year. Um, This is an above-average independent film. A very good performance from uh, Rachel Harris as a woman who basically goes on a quest to find her husband's long-lost son. A uh, very simple story. It's uh, you know really just predicated entirely on the acting and the whole kind of road trip thing. But you know I'll tell you, uh, Rachel Harris is really really good. Now she was previously in The Hangover and not in a a kind of a huge way. Uh, it's obviously not her movie. You know it's about the guys who are having The Hangover. But uh, Rachel Harris here really gets uh, to exercise her chops. It's a it's just all about the acting. And it's on Blu-ray. Not a great Blu-ray, not necessarily because it's not a good transfer. Cinema Guild does uh, does good transfers of Blu-rays when they do them, but um, just because it's not like a dazzlingly shot movie. So it uh, you pop that up to 1080p on your home set, and you're going to kind of go, really? All right, not... Uh I'm not blown away, but uh, that being said, uh, it really is. Uh, it's worth seeing. I'd say more a rental than a bur- than a purchase. That's telling him, Wade. You know what I'm saying. Uh, I have no idea what you're saying. You know, uh, I liked Dark Horse, which is the latest film from uh, Todd Solondz. Now, Todd Solondz is the uh, crazy, wacky director who has made a career out of exercising As, his demons in his own in his movies. Yes, he I met Todd Solondz. I thought I was meeting ET. And he's a lovely man, but <laughs> he's physically very slight and he's like his hand is like small and gentle. You feel like it's like a like a premature child shaking his hand. It's really kind of creepy. Nice guy though, very bright. But he makes very twisted films all about kind of the underside of middle-class suburban life and uh this one Dark Horse is kind of one of his more mainstream films actually. And um it has a good cast, uh, Donna Murphy, Selma Blair, Christopher Walken, um, uh, Justin Bartha from the Hangover films. They're in this. It's about these two 30-somethings who are sort of outcasts, and one of them even still lives in his junior in his bedroom that he had since junior high school. And these two out, thir- mid-30-something outcasts, they meet each other and fall in love. And that's all I'm going to say because um, you know if it's a Todd Solondz film, there's going to be a lot more to it. And what I liked about this film is that in a lot of Solon's films, I just feel like he's kind of showing off a little bit. He wants to show how quirky he is. He wants to show how weird he can be. I just feel like here he really loved these characters and was way more interested in telling us about these characters and their journey than he was in being Todd Solon's. Yeah, that's too bad. Very much of a uh, – <laughs> you know what I said? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody rewind the last 30 seconds and you will prove the way that no idea what I just said. Um, anyway, Dark Horse, it's a terrific film. I, I liked it a lot, actually. Good. It's actually one of my favorite Todd Solondz films. You know, Famke Jansen fancies herself a, uh, a filmmaker now. Oh, no. Yep. She wrote and directed a movie called Bringing Up Bobby. And um, I... Uh, I, 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 I want to be so forgiving. Um, it's... You know what? It's not a bad movie, but it's not a particularly good movie either. Uh, she has she gets herself some some decent performances out of uh, Mila Jovovich and Bill Pullman, uh, among others. But it's um, it, it still feels like one of these movies when actors get to make movies, they just kind of focus too much on the acting and working with the actors, and they lose track. The movie feels it, it tends to feel like uh, like if you buy some really nice fabric, but you don't really know how to stitch it together, the craftsmanship isn't quite there. Uh, this is just one of those movies that, uh, you know, she, she got it out of her system, and uh, here it is. It's 
basically a, uh, a a family drama, a human drama with uh, Mila Jovovich as a uh, con artist and a single mom. And, uh, you know, she's from, she's basically like a, almost a gypsy and, uh, you know, her kid is American and, you know, plant them in Oklahoma and, and it, 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 the story tells itself. Uh, Famke Jansen does a very decent commentary along with uh, one of her actors and executive producer and you get a couple of uh, feature-ready things on here. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you, if you like the actors, I guess give it a shot. The other film uh, I got here, which is the, the last of our new films, then we're going to get into some foreign stuff here in a second, uh, Booster, which was a big deal at South by Southwest as well. This is um, an interesting directing and writing debut for a guy named Matt Ruskin, who I think is going to do some very interesting work in the future. It's a little too much uh, wannabe uh, Tarantino-y Scorsese E, uh, all those other kind of gangstery movies it takes place in Boston and uh, essentially about a guy who's a petty crook who's doing it mostly for his family and uh, because of his brother he gets dragged into something much deeper uh, it's always nice to see Seymour Cassell in something and uh, he's in here Mark and I of course have been on set with Seymour Cassell in a film and uh, boy does that guy just really come unhinged when uh, the camera's off Seymour Cassell is the only actor of, of any note I've ever seen at the, in, in the SAG building like somehow I, I think when actors come when he's very active in the in the union yes yeah he's like on the board or something like that I think when when uh, these kids come to Hollywood and they want to be an actor I think they feel like if they hang out in the SAG building it means they're like like as if like you know Harrison Ford is going to show up or something yeah something like it's that. not going to happen no. no no so uh, uh, but the only actor I've ever seen of note walk in there is Seymour Cassell very true thank you I, 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 I not that I would doubt you but uh, I <clears throat> I really, really like Joshua Marston. I think Joshua Marston is one of the most talented American independent filmmakers alive. And I think it, the fact that he has not sort of blown up and gone to do huge studio films really tells you a lot about his integrity. This is a guy who just exploded with the movie Maria Full of Grace. This is an American director who said, I'm going to make a movie, an American film, American independent film in Spanish. That's what I'm going to do for my directing debut. Uh, Maria Full of Grace is a sensational film, and that was 2004, Mark. 2004. I know. It's wild. That's eight years ago. Stop that. Now so, I feel old. Uh, so what does the guy do? He takes, well, basically seven years. You know, this came out in 2011. Seven years. What does he take seven years to do? He does a, mil- a movie called The Forgiveness of Blood, which made no money. I mean, Forgiveness <laughs> of Blood. Did, you know why? It's got a stupid name. Be, but, but you know what? He decided to follow up a film. Check this out. The this Forgiveness like a, of Blood. No, check it out. He decided to follow up a film in Spanish by making a film in Albanian. Ah, oh, who hasn't done that? Thank you. And you know what? It's even better than Maria Full of Grace and more accomplished. And it just says this guy is more interested in actually, you know, developing his craft than, than going full-on commercial. And I just so respect that. And it's not obscure. I mean, it's a really compelling film uh, that takes place uh, in sort of these blood the, – the world of, the, of blood feuds in Albania. And it is – it's – I don't want to call it like an Albanian godfather because it's not. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's almost a little bit more like um, – Jean de Florette, you know, it's it's got more of that kind of feel to it. But it is a really, really good film. And God bless them, the people at Criterion decided to give this the Criterion Collection treatment. Uh, they bestowed their brand on this film, this very deserving film, and bravo for them. It is a wonderful movie, and it is a very deserving movie with some very good extras, uh, including a uh, Joshua Marston commentary and a conversation with his actors and uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, rehearsal footage, audition footage. Um, it's first rate it's and you know bravo to the Criterion Collection for saying this film needs our help we're going to give it a boost it didn't get the help and the assistant that it needed in uh, 
in um, general release. And the Blu-ray is extraordinary. It's a really well-photographed film. It's a well-directed film, beautifully acted and written film. Everything about it works. The Forgiveness of Blood. If you didn't see it, you're missing out. Buy it. Add it to your collection, Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Did you like it? I loved it. Oh, I loved it. It's a great I, I, film. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Uh, Wade, uh, one of the best animated films of, uh, of that year, of this year... Well, it was nominated for an Oscar. Well, last year, you mean. Last year, I guess. Yeah, last year. It was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, A Cat in Paris. And this is a great little film. This is hand-drawn, folks. This is hand-drawn animation, and uh, it is absolutely delightful, and it is thrilling, and it is French, and I loved it. And it's about a cat who, um, during the day, he lives with, you know, his family, whatever, don't doing cat things, you know, <laughs> pee- peeing everywhere and been barfing on rugs and stuff. I don't know. If, uh, I don't think cat with a double that. life. Yes. But by <laughs> night, he... Uh, he, he 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 hangs out with a cat burglar. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So it's great. You know, this is hand drawn stuff. It's uh, it's almost noirish in the way, kind of like a lot of these big you know silhouettes and fifties kind of storybook palette. And it's just, it's just it's great stuff. It really is good stuff. I really like this thing a lot. A cat in Paris. It's available on Blu Ray. Um, this is not Pixar. This is something that is much more uh, unique and yet still thrilling to watch, emotional. It's really good stuff. It's got a great jazzy score, and uh, it's great. A Cat in Paris on Blu-ray is just terrific. Check it out. Excellent. Uh, wait, what is that? Uh, oh, you didn't like that movie, did you? Weekend? Yes. No, this is the Jean-Luc Godard Weekend. Oh, this is not the... Uh, <laughs> no, not the... Not the, uh, the, the, the gay, one about the gay couple? The gay one-night stand from uh, about a year ago. No. This is the Jean-Luc Godard Weekend from 1967 which is both funny and disturbing. Uh, this is uh, supposed to be a satire, but it's really Godard just venting his rage against the modern world, which is pretty much what he does in most of his films at a certain point. Um, the, uh, the movie, is, it's, it's a road trip, and it is a very kind of odd and peculiar road trip about the disintegration of uh, civilized society and, and this couple who were just caught in the middle of it. Um, it, uh, it dates... Pretty well. Most of Godard's stuff dates rather poorly. Um, you know, if you look at some Godard films made like within the past few years, they look like they were made 30 years ago. It's just who he is. But uh, there's great extras on this. The film itself, this is a, a Criterion Collection Blu-ray, and it's a, it's a lovely transfer. They, they preserve the look of uh, cinematographer Raoul Coutard's very dated photography, which is, you could have tweaked this a little bit, but the garish colors and the, and the kind of the, the, the strange palette of, uh, of colors is very much preserved. So it looks like a movie from 1967 in every conceivable way, and that's nice, because Raoul Coutard is one of the great cinematographers of all time, one of the authors of the French New Wave, frankly, along with all of the directors that he worked with. And uh, you get interviews here with some of the actors and Raoul Coutard and Claude Miller, the uh, great director as well, who was an assistant director on this film. Stuff from French television, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, it's really pretty great. And there's even a new uh, video essay by writer and filmmaker Kent Jones that's very, very good. And I usually don't like those video essay things, but this is uh, pretty first-rate. And the big Criterion release of the week, which you got to get if you are any kind of uh, a serious art film, foreign film fan, I got myself right here, the Blu-ray special edition with a, an explicit content warning on it, I might add, of uh, Pasolini's Trilogy of Life. 
Uh, Pasolini, of course, one of the most controversial directors of all time. This is the guy who made Solo, which is also one of the more controversial Criterion Collection releases. Solo is a film that just revolts everyone who sees it. And Pasolini himself, very controversial figure, kind of a tempestuous Marxist, uh, caught between his Marxism and his Catholicism, and wound up dying at the hands of a uh, young male prostitute who stabbed him to death after he solicited him for, for sex. That's the story of Pasolini. That being said, an incredibly talented filmmaker who vented all of his demons in his movies in a just brilliant, brilliant way. And uh, the, these three films are absolutely worth seeing. Uh, from 1971, 2, and 4, The Decameron, The Canterbury Tales, and Arabian Nights. Uh, this is his trilogy of life, which uh, I should point out is, is they aren't sort of a trilogy of one story. They're a trilogy of li- their literary it's a literary trilogy, uh, all of them based on uh, famous works of literature, and uh, it is it is really uh, incredibly audacious. It is it is all of uh, all of those things that you expect from Pasolini, which is kind of like uh, you know if Fellini had absolutely no self control whatsoever, it would he would have made these three films. The uh, essays and the the behind the scenes stuff and the featurettes here, it's just, it is almost endless. And the stuff that I have to say is really, really worth checking out. There is a um, a documentary here called The Lost Body of Alabek from 2005, which is uh, about a sequence that was originally supposed to be in the Decameron and is lost. Then there's also Pasolini and the Secret Humiliation of Chaucer. Um, which is about the Canterbury Tales segment, and uh, another one called Via Pasolini, also from 2005, which has all kinds of, it's just, it's, you know, Pasolini's worldview and, you know, a lot of really rare archival footage of him. Um, And uh, there's even more. It just goes on and on and on. It is a great set, perfect set, beautifully, beautifully put together. The Trilogy of Life, Pasolini's Decameron, Canterbury Tales, and Arabian Nights from Criterion on Blu-ray. Wade. Making it happen. Hey, I'm telling you. Uh, there's a film by uh, Audrey uh, Tattoo, who, of course, has just fallen off the earth since Amelie. Well, and I think she's been replaced by Marion Cotillard. Yeah. Uh, but this is an interesting film. It got mixed reviews, but I kind of liked it called Delicacy. It's a, uh, it's a film about a, uh, a young woman played by Tattoo. She, uh, her soulmate, her husband, winds up uh, dying tragically. And she, of course, withdraws, and she gets very lonely, and then she winds up falling in love with a very plain guy. And everybody wonders, you know, why is she falling in love with this guy who's like nothing? And so it's a very Princess Frog kind of a story, but I kind of found it very charming and kind of bittersweet, and I liked it. Delicacy, it's a nice little film. It didn't really go anywhere. In fact, it's only being released here through a Cohen Media Group. They're doing, they're doing a lot of very interesting little Blu-rays, though. I like their whole clear packaging style branding thing that they're doing. Well, it definitely stands out on the shelf, I'll tell you that yeah. much. But uh, you know what? If you want to check out a very interesting little French story of, like, you know, finally finding love when you thought love would never happen again and all that sort of stuff, uh, check out Delicacy. It's a nice little film. And it's got Audrey Tattoo. Yeah, What totally. happened to her? Last foreign language film here before we wrap up with a little bit of British television is uh, Maurice Pialat's Police. This is with Gerard Depardieu and Sophie Marceau and Sandrine Bonaire, a, a trio of great French actors from 1985. Uh, I was actually living in France when this came out, and this was a big deal. These posters were everywhere. This is Police, P-O-L-I-C-E, not to be con- confused with Police, the more recent film which came out this year, which we're going to get an award screener of very soon, P-O-L-I-S-S-E. Is it good? 
No, it's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be really great. I missed it at Colcoa, but it, it's uh, it's supposed to be really great. Uh, this is a, just a psychological story about a, um, a detective played by Depardieu who gets a little bit, um, you know, attached to the dark side when he's attracted to this uh, the kind of a, a gun mall, a drug dealer's uh, gal. And um, it, it's, you know, he's forced to sort of choose between his work and his compulsions and all of that stuff. It's a really interesting psychological study. Very well done. Maurice Piala is a great, great director. He's deceased now. But Piala is actually famous for doing something that took a lot of guts. And I think he sort of was prophetic at the time. People thought he was just being a jerk. But when he won the Palme d'Or, which was like, what, about 88, I think it was, 88 or 89, um, for Under Satan's Son, also starring uh, Depardieu, he, uh, he went up and he collected his Palme d'Or. And what do you say when you collect a Palme d'Or? What do you say, Mark? Say, I'd Typically, like to thank uh, you, the no, members of the Academy, no, my family, no, no, uh, my you, agent. No, you walk up to the microphone and you say, cinema is dead. That's what you say. <laughs> and, then, and then they boo you uh, for, for your, your nasty ingratitude and for being a, kind of a jerk. But you know what? Uh, PLA was, was being a, kind of a, a prophet of doom at that point in time. And I think what he said, I don't think you know, cinema is dead, but I think we've certainly entered a dead phase. And I think he, uh, he took the opportunity to do something more than just be kind of uh, you know, schmaltzy and self-serving. He, he said, this is my forum, and they've given me an award, and I'm going to do something to try and call people's attention to the, uh, you know, I'm going to be Noah, for crying out loud. The doom is coming. And uh, like, like the people at the time of Noah, they made fun of him. But you know what? The flood came. And you and I, Mark Kaiser, this podcast, this is our ark. And we are leading our listeners two by two onto our ark. That's what we're doing. The hell are you talking about? I don't know. By the way, uh, speaking of Gerard de Baudu, uh, now you didn't see Life of Pi, and you refused to see Life of Pi because you thought it would be bad. No, no, I haven't refused to see it. I mean, a friend of ours worked on it. I, I just I haven't gotten around to it. I would like to say that I found it absolutely delightful. Life of Pi. Okay, good. It is a good film. Good for you. All right, uh, wrap up here with a few uh, things from British television. Uh, Vexed. Have you watched Vexed, Mark? Have you ever seen it? No. You haven't seen Vexed? No. It's pretty great. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Uh, Lucy Punch. You love Lucy Punch. She's funny. She's terrific. Yes. And people who see her in American sitcoms and romantic comedies and whatnot, they don't even realize she's British. I know. Well, she's got a great American accent. She has a... She puts it on perfect. Anyway, she's British. You know who she is. She's blonde. She's got a quirky face. She was the only good thing in... Well, uh, she was in that one Woody Allen film that was otherwise... uh, Yes. Yeah. But, but she was also the only good thing in the uh, uh, the, the, the the remake of uh, Le Dîner des Cons, the, the uh, dinner game. What was the remake called with uh, Steve Carell? I know. It, it was called uh, Dinner for Schmucks. Dinner for Schmucks. Oh, gosh, a horrible movie. Anyway, she's the only good thing in that movie. She and Toby Stevens play just a terrific uh, detective couple. They are uh, cops that just can't get along. You've heard that before. It's, you know, it's Moonlighting and all the rest of those Glenn Gordon, Karen shows like... Uh, you know, what's, what are some of the other ones that he did? Glenn Gordon. He, didn't he do Moonlighting? And, well, he did uh, Moonlighting, and he did uh, the thing, Remington Steel. It's, it's that whole deal. But really a delightful couple. Very cool. This is three episodes of Vexed Series 1, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Uh, then there's also the complete collection of Wish Me Luck, which is... Um, uh, one of the better period uh, shows from uh, British television. This is all about the, you know, it's a World War II thing about uh, women who are working as undercover agents in France. 
And uh, it's a lot of production value for something like this. It's 23 episodes and uh, quite a good show, really. Um, very impressively done. Uh, you got to kind of, in, you know, the, 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 you're going to recognize all these actors. They've been in a, a million things, and uh, it's nice to nice to see a good period British show set in World War II. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, this is good stuff. Uh, the Duchess of Duke Street with Gemma Jones and Christopher Kazanov. 31 episodes of one of the most popular all-time Masterpiece Theater productions. Um, you, you just can't dislike anything that takes place in Edwardian England. Uh, if you've been watching uh, Downton Abbey, you just, there it is. You're, you're, you're already hooked. And uh, this was, uh, you know, the production value here is a little bit less, but um, still a really, really good show. Ooh, we're running out of time. Um, and let's see, Duchess of Duke Street. You check it out. Complete collection. It's just wonderful. That's out from Acorn. And, um, Mark, we also have a thing here called The Ice House. Look how young Daniel Craig is in that. Oh, wow. Isn't that Little, amazing? Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like James Bond there. He looks like some schoolboy. He looks like Malcolm McDowell in If. Yeah. Doesn't he? Almost? <laughs> I like that. That's See, funny. He's, he's grown into himself. Uh, no, this is, uh, this is pretty great. The Ice House was um, uh, not that long ago, actually. The Ice House was done uh, 1997, so 15 years ago. You know, he's, he's 1997 was 15 years ago, Wade. Do you realize that? I know. It's weird, right? But stop. Just stop. Anyway, uh, this is adapted from a, uh, a, a pretty popular crime novel, actually, and um, it's, it's just good, solid British procedural stuff. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, also in here is Corin Redgrave. Um, it's uh, it's very nicely done. Uh, definitely worth checking out if you're a Daniel Craig fan. That's from BBC, The Ice House. And with that, Mark, I think we are done. Uh, you really, uh, you really, that, that was like a runaway train of uh, hey, British you know stuff. What? You know what? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta knock it out. We're gonna have more British stuff, by the way, on the holiday show. Oh, thank oh, God! Will oh, we? thank God! Yeah, our our fans that. love that. So with that, please, by all means, uh, email us at gods at digigods.com. Send us your Vox boxes. Send us your emails. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, We're looking at a a big holiday movie season as well. Lots of great DVDs and Blu-rays to come and our holiday show. So we want those Vox boxes with uh, any kind of great, cool holiday thoughts and and questions. We'll pop those into our holiday show, and uh, you are going to just love this show. We're putting it together right now. Going to have a lot of great surprises. Not right now. Now we're doing this show. now we're doing this show, but we're, we're, we're putting it together. We're going to have a lot of great surprises and fun times. It's going, to be a, it's going to be good to celebrate the holidays with all of our listeners. Otherwise, go to the Facebook page and make your comments there. A lot of good threads going on as well. We'll see you next week.